You're about to listen to youth-produced content from Listen Up Youth Radio. Listen Up is a Twin Cities social enterprise working at the intersection of youth employment, leadership, and media production. Learn more at www.listenupyouthradio.org. This episode originally aired in November 2018. Hi, welcome to First Gen. My name's Ijoma. And I'm Chino. This is a show about political and social issues and everything in between. Alright, so our first segment today is going to be on those who are too woke to vote and our opinions on this certain article that was actually published today um, by John Blake from CNN on the midterm elections and what is happening to people who are too woke to actually vote. Yeah, so basically we quickly read the article, and I guess just to quickly summarize it, he talks about his own personal experience with a close friend of his um, that's apparently a black historian um, who said that he's no longer going to be voting in any type of election uh, because he honestly doesn't see the point and doesn't want to like give the American government the power that he thinks it doesn't deserve. And I think we see this a lot in our own communities and in our own friend groups, specifically with like our friends who are also in our communities like a lot of people did not want to vote because they just lost hope in how the government system works and they did not want to contribute to the government at all whatsoever um so basically what john blake is saying in this article um is he believes that the excuse that you know we shouldn't be contributing to this democracy through voting as a way of showing our like upsettingness like with the nation um is something irrational that's what he's basically saying um Um, but like he says it in a i don't know he the entire article is pretty like shameful in a way and where he just uses a lot of he just uses a lot of ad hominems to like get his point across which isn't very good i think it's a very attacking nature that the article is written in and yeah like ajoma said like it really is like a shaming article on those who did not vote during the election. He cites like um, people who didn't really win the election because they were short of like a few thousand votes, such as like Andrew Gillum in Florida. Um, He's basically saying that if we had just a few more people who would have chosen to vote, there would have been a different turnout for the election. Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like personally, um, I definitely, once I turn 18... <laughs> Uh, I definitely plan on voting. Um, I understand that, like, it is, you know, the benefits outweigh the negatives in my world. Although, I didn't really like the rhetoric this year of shaming those who did feel so left out and so unprioritized in the system that they were so unhelpful to vote. I didn't appreciate, like, the mass amounts of shaming that happened. Because I feel like we also have to come from it, like, a from a compassionate um like point of view it's like people aren't voting because i mean they've experienced so much to the point where they don't believe in any system in this country and so that even if they were to vote they have never seen anything change so why waste their time and go out to the ballots when they can make their own change in their own communities like without this huge system right and then there's also the idea of like harm reduction though like the reason why you should vote is because like why not like you can still be very active in your local communities be very progressive um, in your own life uh, serving your own community and volunteering for things that help your community and still vote you can be frustrated with the system help the system and still vote so i i think that 
yes, we should be sympathizing a lot with those who are too frustrated to vote, but also be aware of the fact of like just the idea that we should reduce as much harm as possible that could come because those yeah. who are, are voting are those who are opposed to us. Yeah, no, I think that's the most important part. I actually understand the argument of like not working within a system, especially like the one that we're currently in. But I feel like the most compelling reason to vote is that the people who are able to mobilize are usually the ones who are voting against issues that affect you. So I feel like that's one really big reason. Um, But also, like, we have to look at this from the standpoint of, like, so many people, like, consider themselves like a minority (laughs) in a situation. And so they don't believe that their voice would ever actually be heard, even if they were to vote, because of the way our system, like, works when it comes to how we elect people. Um, so, I don't know, I definitely see both sides of the story. I think the narrative is kind of messed up. I don't know, like, yes, okay. We talked about this with Sean King, which is, like, an interview that we'll show you later, but, like, basically, our, we had a lot of questions on this, because we, we have, uh, we know people who didn't want to vote during, um, this past election, just because the they believed that it didn't matter that either way we weren't going the Democrats specifically weren't going to win anything and there wasn't going to be any change, and there was also the idea that even if we do like have a democratic success in America with like Democrats taking the House and uh, people believing that Democrats could have taken the Senate like even if we did elect more Democrats to our government they wouldn't benefit marginalized communities they wouldn't serve to those communities that are being oppressed. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I agree with that or not. I understand that there are a lot of communities that maybe might not be touched or affected by, um, you know, a democratic rule in the government. But there are other communities who are very uh, significantly affected through how these elections were going to turn out. So I, I think that there should be more sort of empathy towards other communities that maybe you aren't paying attention to that would be affected heavily through these votes. So I, mm. I think that we should expand our, our, our view on this. Look, I mean, I think it, yeah, I definitely feel like you should always have like a wide view on everything. It's just, it's kind of like, I don't know, how do we reach out to the people who don't vote in a in an actual understanding way? Because you can like tell someone, oh, you're ruining this for everyone. And, you know, this is, you know, you're being selfish, but, like, at the end of the day, like, these people are doing it because they physically don't feel like they've ever been represented in their yeah. politics, and I think the way John Blake goes about in his article is very, very wrong. Like, you shouldn't be shaming or be putting other people down because they were just too upset to vote, and instead, you go to the root as to why they're not voting. The reason why these people aren't voting is specifically because, like, they find it just, they're just exhausted. Mm -hmm. Uh, They find no hope for this government, and I completely understand with that, and I also sympathize with the idea that we simply will not be able to reach equity in American government. Um, However, like, the negatives of not voting out, um, of not voting just outweigh any possible, any excuse that you you could say, I think. And uh, I think the way we should be going about this and the way we should go be, we should be going about um, 
people who aren't voting because they're tired of this government, because they feel as if they have never been part of this uh, this government system, is just through, through talking it out instead of like just yelling at them and accusing them of not knowing enough or not understanding how government works or you know the way John Blake goes about it in his article. What we should really be doing is talking to these people, on un- like understanding of why the reasons why they aren't voting are. I think John Blake assumes that like people aren't voting because they're just sad. Like there's there's obviously more of a reason people aren't voting that they're stepping out of this because people tell you from like the moment you enter public school that you're going to vote when you turn 18. So it's been ingrained in our minds, but there is something more that pushes people to believe that we should not vote for for certain reasons that these people aren't voting for. I feel like it's also kind of just like the way politics have become. It's like some people might even honestly just feel guilty voting. They like they treat people and issues like pawns. It's like, oh, do I vote for this candidate that you know, wants this group of people to do this, or do I vote for the other candidate that wants this group of people to do this? And it's kind of just like how they dehumanize things and like make things seem, you know, so trivial. Like, are you just going yeah. to a place to like sign your ballot and then leave? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like if you're in, and also I was just like reading something that my friend had wrote too. It's like also we're forgetting the fact that like there are people who aren't, don't have access to voting. Uh, when it comes to like certain IDs necessary uh, in their communities or transportation or even just knowledge of where and when your like your voting place takes like takes place so I feel like there are just so many factors in like this social media norm this year of just like shaming people for whatever reason to vote was just counterproductive and it didn't help at all I don't feel like those are the arguments though like those excuses of like just not knowing how to vote are very valid because mm-hmm. the, go- the government doesn't really set up voting in a way that is like very easy for a lot of people like mm-hmm. a lot of people who are going who are eligible to vote have, have a lot of trouble figuring out how voting actually works mm-hmm. um, and it's a very valid excuse because the way it's set up is just a way to like confuse them or like even instead of like this rhetoric of shaming people like I'd argue that the way that politics have been working for the past couple of years have honestly been traumatizing for some people. It's like a it's a very like energy draining process. And maybe we need to also take this from more of a mental health perspective because I don't know why people like some people were saying like I don't feel I don't want to participate. Like for me it's better if I just stop engaging altogether so like maybe there's just different avenues like the shaming that happened like on a mass scale was just like really surprising um but also like no i definitely agree that i know i personally will vote because i do feel like there are benefits to voting Um, it's like here's what happens right if we have people of color not voting in the elections yeah harms are going to happen to people of color Mm -hmm. because who is voting are white middle class middle upper class middle-aged americans who are going to be voting for things that maybe you don't agree with so when you have that imbalance of people who are voting Mm -hmm. 
the issues that are going to be voted for are issues that are going to be against those marginalized communities that you are a part of. Mm-hmm. And more harm will come to you if you don't vote and if majority of people of color don't vote than if they yeah. did. Kind of like just like shifting the conversation over. Like just as what you're saying too. It's kind of also like even when you do vote, are you actually like prioritized? Like are you... um like, do the systems actually work? Because even when you do have, like, more Democrats, like, representing you or, like, what, whoever you vote for that, that represents you, like, will your voice actually be heard or does our system not work? And I think this is, like, a really interesting topic because even when people were voting Democrat, like, some would argue that nothing changed or at least they couldn't see it. I, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's, like, do we actually have representation? Which kind of goes to like this election I think was really groundbreaking because I feel like it's one of the first where we actually have real representation which I hope inspires people to go and vote because I feel like people were just voting for people who oh they say they're democrats but they don't actually do anything to help our communities it was definitely an act of desperation in response to how things have been recently going in our nation like we have been seeing a lot of repercussions of having a more conservative approach to how we deal with our Mm -hmm. policy decision making and how we have actually designed this nation to be especially with Mm -hmm. issues when it comes to gun control the caravan immigration in general there has been a conservative response to it and those people who are more left-leaning are desperate for anything else because i feel like when you see all your representation as things that literally do not represent you and then you're also not seeing the impacts or effects of the people that say on like their ballot that oh we we will vote for you and then you just don't really see any of those benefits but i hope that like now that we have actual representation representation like people who came from our communities who are now you know speaking for our communities like i hope that is some like solvency and that's some way that we can like people who have been traumatized by a system that doesn't work for them can feel some kind of hope i agree it's like go out and vote not this past election, but the 2016 election, a lot of people were angry with both parties mm-hmm. for valid, valid reasons. They were hopeless. They, they didn't were both politicians who yeah. knew what to say to get people to vote for them, who didn't actually mean what they were saying. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this election was so significant in our history is because a lot of people who were running are people from those marginalized communities, people mm-hmm. who weren't taking money from lobbyists, people who weren't just... They were organized. Who weren't yeah. acting as if there was this was like a company that they had to run, but rather something that they knew they were very passionate about and knew their message and what they wanted to get done once yeah. they actually got elected. I definitely felt a lot more, um, I felt a lot more hope this time around. It was very personal. It was a very personal election. And I feel like that's when, you know, I can understand why people were like, please vote in this election. Like this is the one time in a long time ever that we've had like some serious actual representation. But, like, even if we go back to, like, when Trump was elected and all of that, and, like, you know, say whatever you want about both candidates, but maybe people felt just so hopeless that it was, like, it doesn't even matter at this point who I vote for. Like, based on, like, the history, I still would have voted, but, I mean, like, based on the histories of, like, the two candidates that were running, it's, like, people were, like, I don't even know why I participate in this system. Yeah, and it's actually really sad if you think about it that people just have lost so much hope in this nation that they don't feel as if there's any point to actually contribute to it. 
Mm. And like at least it not was on like a it was federal scale. It was different this year though. Like mm. There were people who were running who genuinely cared about what they were doing, who, who weren't people who've come with already like a poli- heavy political background, mm-hmm. um, who, who before they were campaigning were those people that who were, were like our neighbors, like people who understood how marginalized communities are affected because they were part of that community. Like um, Ocasio-Cortez, who represents na- who now represents uh, the Bronx, like she she worked as a waitress, like she before the election like she she is someone who knew very well what is going what happens to those who aren't making enough money what happens to people who are struggling in society in a society that doesn't listen to them so you know when we have so much representation especially like younger representation who are an example for this election people of color we're going to see like a heavy change and a blue wave isn't going to be just people who are campaigning as if they're sponsoring like companies who aren't sponsoring like lobbyist groups, but are genuine actual people who care about the issues they're talking about and not and are not talking about those issues solely to get a voter count. So, yes, hopefully, you know, this was a good start, and hopefully, each time we have an election, we'll see more and more familiar faces, you know, popping up around the country. Uh, and this brings us to our first break. Um, who are you? I am Ijoma. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so, yeah, okay, so, I'm Brittany. I'm Ijoma. And you're listening to First Gen Radio. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is First Gen Radio. You're listening to, yeah, you're listening to First Gen. I'm Brittany. I'm Ijoma. And on October 23rd, I think like, that's two weeks ago, we got yes. to privilege to interview Sean King, a civil rights Shocking. activist who is super like active um, in his community and on social media. And it was an amazing experience to hear him talk. He's an amazing speaker. Uh, he, we asked him questions on like marginalized communities, what to do about like the midterm elections, education uh, in our schools, yeah, education in schools. Like it was a variety of questions, and it was such an amazing experience to be able to do so. And we have the recorded interview yep. uh, that we're so excited to play. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, Brittany and I go to a school where we're the only minorities in every single class. Uh, we don't have any teacher representation, as she said. Um, what can students, uh, students of color do uh, when the racial aggressions happen and there's mm. no one to speak for us and we might not have our voice yet? Um, what advice would you give students that are dealing with that? Well... First, if somebody mistreats you, you need to find me and let me know, <laughs> because I tell you, people hate it when I when I, by the time I'm putting you on blast, trouble is on the way, and I am thankful that I have some level of influence that I can use in that way. That shouldn't be a solution for us, but I do I do mean that very seriously. If there's ever a way. Like, I'm sure your school does not want me talking or someone else of influence talking about the way you are being mistreated. It's a, I, I grew up in rural Kentucky in a school that was almost exclusively white, and I was regularly mistreated. And um, it's a school's job to protect students from that level of mistreatment, to protect um, girls from mistreatment, sexual aggressions and assaults from boys, 
to protect students of color, people of, of different religious backgrounds and persuasions. And when a school doesn't make that a priority, bad stuff will happen, period, point blank. It's going to happen. And, and so shame on any school, not, not just your school, but any school that hasn't made the protection of all of their students a high priority. Because what that does is it begins institutionalizing systems of power and privilege that white students will then take into society. And, uh, and so schools have a chance to just stop it right there. Hey, I know this may be how it was in your house, but in this place, that does not happen. And, that has a, and what that could do is that could cause high school students and college students to go into the world and be different. But if schools don't stop it when students are young, it will be a problem. Um, document the things that are happening to you and provide dates and times. And it's sad that we have to be investigators of our own brutality and oppression. But sometimes you have to document it and then go to administrators and say, this happened to me on November 1st at at 12, 10 p.m. This happened to me on November 8th. And when you provide that level of documentation that makes it undeniable, they get nervous. And what schools need to understand is that you aren't dealing with isolated incidents. These are systems. And if, Brittany, if you have dealt with incidents year after year after year, what that means is the school has failed to create a culture that properly values you and protects you. And it's actually their legal obligation to do so. And what schools like to do is say, hey, that was just, that was an isolated incident. Well, if you've had 14 isolated incidents, damn it, it's not an isolated incident. It's a system. And schools have to understand, nope, you have created and allowed this system. And um, you may need to also get somebody else involved that can speak on your behalf. And because when school, again, I speak, I don't know if you know my story, but I was brutally assaulted in 1995 in my high school. And I missed two years of school. I had three spinal surgeries, fractures in my face and ribs. I'm in pain right at this very moment from the assault that happened 22 years ago. And when schools don't protect students, you have to organize against them to say you you will protect students so that when you leave because they're going your siblings or friends or others are going to follow behind you in these schools and you at least want to know that you left it a little better and so you may not get to see the change with your own eyes but at least you'll know um, you you left a, a an improved system in place and uh but again if it gets ugly hit me up <laughs> yeah you. hit me up and let me know <laughs> i it, one of the early questions that i got from other student journalists in the room was what stories do i enjoy i do enjoy putting people on blast who aren't doing right by our 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 students and um that's why you know you know i was the first person to identify 
the what do we call the lemonade lady? What's the the oh, Becky. <laughs> not barbecue not not just barbecue Becky who I also identify, <laughs> but you know the the young girl who was selling water. Who's trying to see the little girl? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like if you mistreat our kids, I'm I'm coming for you, and um, that's the beauty of social media that it gives us a platform to do that. Um, I just want to ask one last short question. Uh-huh, sure. um, so in the current state of our nation, many young people of color have lost faith in democracy mm. and how the system actually works when it comes to voting. A lot of young people of color are now choosing to not vote during yeah. this midterm election. What would you want to say to them? Well, I hope I hope they hear this before the election because I understand their frustration with American democracy. I actually agree with every bit of that frustration. I'm frustrated with both political parties. I'm frustrated with establishment politicians. But the the best way to change the system is to vote new, better people into office. And right here in Minneapolis, all over Minnesota, there are actually some amazing people running for office. And some of those people are people that heard the frustrations of young people across the country and said, damn it, I, w- I want to be the alternative that young people can actually believe in. I live in New York, and we have uh, uh, an amazing new congresswoman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I, who I just, yeah, I love and admire her so much. But if people didn't vote, we wouldn't have her. Right here in, in Minnesota, there are many different options for people to vote in pretty radical revolutionary candidates we have now the first uh somali woman who could go to congress the first muslim woman to go to congress and and this city has made that possible i understand people saying i'm setting this one out i get it but it's short-sighted because if we don't vote, bad people, and there are grades of bad. So people say, listen, you're just, Sean, you're just talking about, you know, uh, the lesser of two evils. Every now and then that is the case where you have a choice between a bad candidate and a horrible candidate. But I want to tell you, I've learned myself having the horrible person in office is is dangerous for us it is it is short-sighted to think that it doesn't matter who gets in office i hear people say they're all corrupt i get that and there's some level of truth to that but there are grades of corruption there are grades of evil grades of bigotry and uh we have a choice though to put some really powerful people in office and i have seen some elections be decided by a few hundred votes and so when you sit it out it may be your choice to sit it out that could cause the worst possible candidate to win and so uh if if you're of legal voting age you have to use that privilege and then i'll close with this People really did fight and die for our right to vote. And we owe it to them to be faithful over what they fought for. 
and we can be faithful and frustrated. I am, I'm, I'm very frustrated with American politics, but we can vote and be frustrated at the same time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I think, yeah, I think Sean sums it up. Welcome back. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to First Gen. That was our interview with Sean Kang. Um, half, half of, of it. it. <laughs> and we will release the other half. At the end. Um, so I, I think Sean Kang said it beautifully. Like, the way he was basically saying how, like, we can be frustrated and vote at the same time is something that is 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 very true. But... It was the way he said it. Like, he... Yeah, because it's, like, the article we read before is, like, I feel like this is exactly the reason why I shouldn't vote. But, like, yeah. the way that, you know, Sean King puts it, you know, when you really, like, remind yourself about all those, like, little things. He was frustrated. Like, he's, he's, he said himself, he's frustrated with the government. He's frustrated with the way American politics are turning out, like, right now. And he's still, like, planning to vote. Because, like he, like he said, the best way to change these broke... These the best way to change these systems is to start electing better people in those systems. And we, yeah. and like he said, in Minnesota, we had a great privilege of having great people to be able to elect. Um, we had a lot of great options to choose from. And in other places, there wasn't that option as much. Uh, he mm -hmm. cited like uh, Ocasio-Cortez as one of, of being one of, one of those great, great people. Mm -hmm. um, like, and, and at the end, when he basically, yeah, at the end, he was saying, like, people died for our right to vote. Mm -hmm. And he, he's, like he said, we owe it to them. Because in other nations, we do not have the privilege. And I know there's that, like, idea that, like, you shouldn't be grateful. You shouldn't have to be, like, saying thank you to someone who's, like, black, backstabbing you, right? Like, the, that people take that as like what voting actually is like you're saying thank you to a system that gives you the option of s voting for something that isn't going to work out and i get that however in other nations there just isn't that option at all whatsoever and then during this election we had the absolute opportunity to vote people who are us and Jomo was saying like during uh, the break we took during the interview like once you start seeing yourself in off uh, once you start seeing yourself mm vote like once you start yeah. seeing people who represent you who come yeah. from your backgrounds vote. please vote because i feel like that goes back to like the whole thing about hope i feel like the reason why people are so frustrated with the system is because we just have people who go in and don't have the actual connections to actually foster change and so but this election was really historical and the fact that there were people that have been in the yeah. communities that at least give us the hope that they can make change. And so I 100% sympathize. And like I understand that if you cannot get out to vote, like you won't, like you should not be shamed. Um, but we are starting to see ourselves now, like, you know, small, but it's there. It's changing. Like I so. definitely think like the idea of a blue wave, although like, when people think blue wave, there's a little bit of a negative connotation with it as thinking that it's just people who are Democrats, um, uh, people who are just Democrats. But, like, the blue wave now is starting to become something that is representing us as a whole. Like, people who, come, who are coming from marginalized communities, people who come from 
different backgrounds like Ilhan Omar, uh, people who are coming from marginalized communities like the LGBT community. We see Angie Craig from Minnesota. We see um, Ocasio-Cortez representing the Bronx. Uh, I think during like uh, her speech when, uh, we re- when we realized that she won the election, she was basically saying that she is going to be the first person of color who is going to be representing the Bronx. And the Bronx is 70% people of color. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just That's this why was people hist- didn't vote. This was a historical, <laughs> yeah. a historical election. Uh, Ocasio Cortez won seventy eight percent of the votes, mm-hmm. like because people were voting, because people from her community and from other communities as well saw her and said, "This is who I want to represent my my community, my district." Mm-hmm. So I think, like, you know, the the success that we saw in Bronx is something that should be repeated in other districts across across the nation because in other dis- in other districts like we saw in active voting i think this is like you know a good segue into like the topic of now that we're starting to see you know representation and it's giving us hope to you know things might change once we're inside of this like system maybe we can make something happen and i feel like this is a really good message to like considering that Brittany and i are both um youth but also to other youth out there it's like if you are passionate about organizing or passionate about you know making changing your community and if you want to get into politics and be that voice for people you know a voice that has literally never been heard before i feel like our generation is going to do some pretty cool things so i'm looking forward to that part of it because i want to see like more representation on the ballot i want to like I want to I want to vote for people like me. <laughs> I think like yeah. There was a lot of options that we had this election. Well, it, depending on where you live. Depending lived, on where you yeah. were. In Minnesota, we had the privilege to be able to elect people who represented people from almost like every community. Um yeah, and recently I think like in general for the United States, we just in this past election elected the first two Native American people to be able to represent something. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's insane. Like, pe- people are running because they are doing it as a reaction to how things have been recently. Things got so bad that they're like, well, if, like, we don't step in. You want something done, do get, it yourself. <laughs> like, like that, I think that was, like, the rhetoric for this election. Like, people who are running saw that what they were doing in the status quo, which is, like, not doing anything, not voting wasn't working it is time to take things into our own hands to like represent yeah, people that's from the kind of rhetoric that's i'm all about of, yeah that's what it is like that's what we have to like strive for and that's like what this nation ought to be about like mm-hmm. we often so many times think that there is no outlet out of like the situation that we're in that this isn't something that youth should be concerned about um it's something for people who went who already educated people who went to college, understand policy making, understand how to like, you know, be able to speak to Congress, be able to represent a district in Congress. But those typically are people who have never had to face the disadvantages that these communities are facing. So when we're seeing people from these communities actually being able to represent their communities and people who genuinely understand what it's like to struggle in those areas 
we're going to see change start to happen because these people are advocating for things that are not only about like aren't only advocating for things because they feel like they need to because of people who voted for them but mm-hmm. rather are voting for things because they know what is generally affecting their communities and other communities as well mm-hmm. i feel like we should also just use this platform to like quickly acknowledge like all the young people who did have some part in the elections whether you were doing door knocking or volunteering with your local campaigns um or even just texting your peers about going to vote for the ones who can uh thank you like thanks for taking time out of your day to do that um and thanks for like hopefully giving hope to people who have understandably lost theirs so thank you very much for you know, being at the yeah. front hand. And please don't give up. Like, this yeah. is only the beginning. And, like, I know that that's, like, the, the same things we hear after every movement, but this really is only starting. And the fact that we've already gone so far when it comes to youth being involved in politics is, like, that's amazing. And mm-hmm. we need to continue doing that for following elections, for following movements that are going to be coming up soon. So, yeah. Um, and Jomo and I... Moving on from, like, big-scale conversations on, like, the nation. Hmm? We just want to do a life update. Like, what's going on? What's going on in our lives? Like, what is, like, Joma and I are going to college next fall. Um, Six months left in high school. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of big things happening. So, not only in our nation, but also in the lives of students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's going on with college. And I think it's only in, like, recently starting to become super real for a lot of people like what is actually going to happen in the upcoming months what is going to happen at the beginning of next fall and who we are going to become what we're striving to become so yeah also just since since this is our first live show um Brittany and I go to a suburban school um where we're the only students of color in basically every single one of our classes so this college process has been very, very interesting. Students of color who aren't, like, you know, the model minority myth. Yeah. Basically, like, black and Latino students. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a really, like, just very stressful time because our school, I mean, this probably happens in other schools, but since I can only speak for our own, our school has this kind of, like, brag policy where everyone is always trying to tell and ask about everyone else's, like, what's going on in their lives. Um, which isn't necessarily bad, but it could also be very overwhelming. Like when people put you down for like your scores or put you down for not getting into a school or they got into a school. And so, you know, that makes them better. So like for any people, like for any students who are like experiencing that right now, just keep your head up. Like it's not easy for students who are doing this like the first time by themselves. Like I Mm -hmm. think, I think one of the biggest things to keep in mind when you're applying for schools and when you're trying to get to school is that you don't have to do this alone. There are people mm-hmm. out there to help you in different communities. You just need to go to your counselor. They will help you figure out like what you need to do. Write an action plan. Like This is what I need done by this time. This is what I need to figure out by this date. It is so hard to do this by yourself, especially if you are going to be the first person in your family who's going to go to college. Um, if you are going to be like the first person who speaks English to ever do anything to pursue like a second like uh, a, a post a higher education, mm. so 
you do not have to do this by yourself like there are people out there to help you who are waiting to help mm-hmm. and you simply need to go out there and ask for help i think a lot of like what america has fed to people who are first generation students is you know this is the american dream you can do anything you put your mind to do it like yourself like pull yourself up by like your bootstraps and like get to work but that's that is the rhetoric that people have been following forever and we're not seeing improvement you know like people who can pull their bootstraps up together people who are have already, boots in the first place have boots in the first place you know like people who are already in the position to get to where they need to be mm. you know what first generation students need to realize is that they cannot they simply cannot follow the same path that their peers are their um. peers who have been like groomed to be able to go to college i think like one thing like one thing for advice that i would really give is honestly headphones like when i go to school and like everyone in class is talking about oh like i don't even need financial aid i'm just gonna go to whatever school i want or i've already gotten in because my college counselor did my entire application and i only put my name in at the beginning you know like when those like voices just like sometimes get too much and like distract you from like or even just bring you down from like what you know you're planning on doing like please get some headphones just put them in it's like completely okay to just be on your own in some situations and just reflect and have peace and quiet right so now after like giving you those updates we're now going to be playing for you the initial first half of the sean king interview which is basically more touching on like education and what he believes this country should take its direction in. So, yeah. Um, we're going to start playing it. Uh, I'm Chino. I'm Ijoma. This is First Gen, and listen to our interview. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, so my first question is, uh, you talked about being a history teacher in your speech. What, do you, um, what are your experiences with the narratives they teach high school and students and elementary and middle school students when it comes to our history, and how does that affect our everyday lives? That's a great question. And I actually think about it a lot in part because I because I have five kids of my own. Uh, I'm, I'm constantly curious about what they're being taught and I'm very involved in making sure that it's accurate and honest. Um, earlier tonight I talked about how complex America's justice system is. America's educational system is just as complex. Each, you know, there are thousands and thousands of districts in the country, educational districts. They each have their own curriculum, standards. They vary city by city, county by county, state by state, region by region. And so when we talk about, well, what are people learning about their history? It really depends on where you're talking about. So some districts, for instance, I spent a lot of time in the Bay Area of California, and the city of Oakland spent a lot of time saying how do we make sure that we are historically accurate and that we're teaching students of color and not just students of color that we're teaching all students that we're teaching white students properly about the history of students of color it's accurate history is not just for students of color white students need it just as bad as everybody else well the city of Oakland is one of those few cities that has tackled it in a really progressive revolutionary way but most cities haven't. And, and and so, again, though, when we say, well, the education system in America is broken, that assumes that it's functioning the way it's functioning on accident. 
America's education system is functioning the way certain people want it to function. There's, I didn't understand this until I became a teacher myself and started understanding how expensive textbooks were. <laughs> it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And there are people who are making so much money in the industry that they have a desire to keep it a very certain kind of way. So when we say, who writes these textbooks? Who edits these textbooks? Who's at the table in these companies? You start to really just scratch the surface, it stinks. It's not good. And um, in states that are particularly conservative, it's even more problematic. Where some states, I'm thinking of Arizona and Texas, have even started banning ethnic studies and they've had to fight these cases all the way up through the court systems to say, no, 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 we are allowed to teach indigenous students about their history. We are allowed to teach uh, uh, you know, black students about black history. And, uh, and some districts have literally tried to ban those things. And so we're fighting for the most basic information uh, for students to learn. I say that to say, at the end of the day, this is not fair, but parents and families have to be responsible to balance out what their students aren't getting in the school system. And um, some parents have more means and, and have the background to provide that, and some don't. We should be able to count on the system to do this well, but we sh but that's not how the system works. So parents, families, communities, community groups have to supplement the inefficiencies or the deficiencies of America's education system with our own extra classes, our own extra curriculum, um, knowing that whatever you get in the public school system or even the private school system, it can only be part of what students learn. And so we have to provide a lot of supplements to, to add some layers on top of that. And sort of leading off of that question, so we need representation um, in our classrooms as well as much as like in politics. Um, how can we encourage people, uh, people of color who have already faced racial trauma in high school to become teachers so we see that representation? It's, it's actually, it's a crisis. I'm very concerned about it. Um, the overwhelming majority of teachers in America are, are white women. And um, it's a profession they've, they've excelled in, and that's from elementary, middle, and high school. The majority of teachers at each phase of education are white women in America. And we have to say, why has one group excelled and, uh, and, and why have others not excelled in that space? Is it a recruiting problem? Is it a, is it a teacher preparation problem? Um, when I was a student at Morehouse, for instance, which is a, a, a school for black men in the South, we didn't even have an education major at Morehouse. So here we have a school with 3,000 black men, but you couldn't even major in education. And uh, so I had to take my education classes at Spelman, a school for women. And uh, I, I said that to say that some of it is systemic, but some of it is the supply. Like where are people being reached to be prepared to be teachers? Um, some of it is cultural that particularly when I think about, so most men in general don't want to teach. It's not a desired 
celebrated profession for men. It's seen as a as a woman's job. I, I'm not. I, I reject gender roles like that. But in America, it's positioned somehow as a role for women. And so when you ask 100 teenage men or college-age men what they want to do, you may get one or two who say they plan on being teachers. You have to dig in, like, well, why is that? Like, what what roles are being celebrated in the culture? Uh, and why is it that certain groups of people just don't see that as a desired track? This is a recurring theme in our conversation, but these problems are complex. And some of why we fail to solve them is like to really unpack why that shortage of teachers of color exists like that that probably requires a book a phd dissertation you know and then how you solve that problem is a, is a very complex solution but i feel like our problems lead our work and sometimes we have to say, no, 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 I'm going to step away or me and these five people are going to step away and build a unique, robust solution that isn't being that's not reactive, but it's a proactive, thoughtful solution to the problem. And um, because our communities are so often in crisis, not just from police brutality and police violence, but our communities suffer many different forms of violence and trauma and because of that we are often moving from crisis to crisis pain to pain and it's really difficult to build sustainable systemic plans when your community is when you when you're under attack and um and that puts us at a real disadvantage and um you know some of us are going to have to break away from today's crisis and that's difficult we have to break away from that and go almost isolate ourselves from the world and build the solutions that will take us for years and decades and generations all right so that was our interview with sean kang it was an amazing experience but we'll be back on december 14th uh yeah so we'll be we'll be back on december 14th if you want to call in during that time if you want to know what we're going to be talking about next you can yeah. follow Us. the listen youth radio on instagram uh we'll, so, we'll yeah. be posting updates as to what is going on next so, time thanks for listening to first gen my name's ijoma i'm chino yeah we'll see you next time want to support more programming like this rate subscribe and review our podcast on spotify or apple podcasts then go to www.listenupyouthradio.org and click donate you can also follow us on facebook and instagram at listen up youth radio tell your friends this episode was edited by ari shapiro thank you for listening